Good morning once again to you. I want to tell you at this point that, you know, over the last few months, uh, several months, I've gone uh, through the book of 1 Thessalonians, finished that, and then we started in 2 Thessalonians, and we will be completing our series of uh, 2 Thessalonians this morning. We're going to be in chapter 3, looking at the entire chapter. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you've got your Bibles with you, to go ahead and find 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And as you're doing that, I want to tell you that the big idea of this entire chapter can sort of be condensed to the following. We're going to see to start with that Paul is sharing a prayer request. And that prayer request is uh, specifically that the gospel might spread effectively through their ministry. And then Paul, we'll see this also in this particular chapter, Paul tells these Thessalonian believers of the confidence that he had in them that they would follow through on his instructions that he had given them. And finally, he reminds them once again of the importance of integrity and purpose in their daily lives. Again, he is reminding them once again of the importance of integrity and purpose in their daily lives. And so I just want to stop and ask at this point, as you take a look within your life, do you live your life with both integrity and purpose? You know the answer to that. And the good news is if the answer happened to have been no, not every day, could I say that I live with integrity and purpose? That can all change today. So let's, let's take a step into God's Word. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 to start with. So we see as this text starts that Paul is asking these people to pray. And he specifically says, pray for us. So when he uses that word, us, who exactly is he talking to about there? Well, he's talking about himself. He's talking about Timothy. And he's talking about Silas. Now, when you think of these three men, you know, we, we probably know more about Paul personally than we do the others. And, you know, when we think of Paul, we think of how incredibly bold that that man was. We can read of his life all through the Bible. But at this point, it's important for him. It's important also for Timothy and Silas that they know that people are praying for them. And you know, when they do this, I think it gives us a look into their life. Folks, we're not looking at the lives of superheroes here. So often I think it's tempting when we read the Bible, when we see the names of the people in the Bible. Sometimes I think it is tempting for us to look at those people and think, well, you know, it was different then. Their temptation's not like mine. And you know, maybe I would agree with you on that. I would, I would, th- I would think I would argue effectively with you that the things that the people in the Bible experienced are probably much worse than any of us have ever experienced. But yet, with that, they realized the importance of prayer. They were three men who depended on knowing that other people were praying for them. Now, I want you to look how Paul instructs them to pray. That the word of the Lord 
may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So he is asking here that the gospel go forth. And then he reminds these people, you know, that's exactly what happened with you. So it has happened. We know it is possible. And then he asked them to pray that, again, we, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, may be delivered from wicked and evil men. From wicked and evil men. And I think it is very important that we understand that Paul, Timothy, and Silas all experienced persecution. It's very important for us to stop and realize that this church at Thessalonica experienced persecution. Now, I want to say something to you that I have said many times from this pulpit, and I hope you're remembering this. And I hope that when I say this again right now, you'll remember, I've heard him say that before. But folks, I am convinced if we live long enough and Jesus does not come back First, we will experience persecution right here in the United States of America. Now, I wonder what will happen. What, what, we, what will we see happen to the church when that moment comes? I'm afraid that one of the things that may happen is that people will start disappearing and disappearing from churches all over the United States claiming that they've never heard the name of Jesus nor that they ever pretended to have a relationship with Him. But I want to encourage you this morning, church, when persecution comes, view it through the lens of spending eternity with Jesus Christ. Once we do that, everything else looks different. Everything looks different. Now, when Paul uses these terms, wicked and evil men... In, in this particular verse, verse 2, he is using these words intentionally and he is describing men here who are blatantly sinful and blatantly unrighteous. And then he ends verse 2 with this sentence, For not all have faith. For not all have faith. Church, we've got to realize this morning that the gospel produces faith and the gospel produces obedience. And then the other alternative is that it, it can sometimes produce an intentional refusal of God's truth. Because we realize that when we are sharing the gospel with people, it does not always fall on hearts that are receptive. But we've got to be obedient anyway. We have got to share and as we move into verses 3 through 5, we're going to see that Paul takes some, in, some time to encourage those people to continue the faith. Let's face it, sometimes people will disappoint us. Sometimes people will downright fail us. But we can never, ever forget that God is always faithful to those who truly belong to Him. We're going to see Paul encourage these people, and we're also going to see Paul extend his confidence to him, to them, that they will continue to obey the true teachings of the gospel. Now we see right here as verse 3 starts, but the Lord 
is faithful. The Lord is faithful. This church needed to be reminded of that. And you know, sometimes we need to be reminded of the very same thing. The Lord is faithful. If you're here this morning and you're experiencing an attack from the enemy, there's a good chance that you need to hear this morning that the Lord is faithful. This verse goes on to say that He will establish you and He will guard you against the evil one. Is that not a beautiful truth this morning? But you know, we've got to stop just a minute to go into this verse to figure out exactly what this means. Does it mean that if we're a child of God that everything is going to be rosy? Absolutely not. It doesn't mean that. Does it mean that if we're a child of God that we will never experience an attack from the enemy? No, it definitely does not mean that. But when Paul says here, he will establish you and he will guard you against the evil one. This does not mean that difficult times are not going to come. It does not even mean that we will not experience persecution. But what it does mean is something beautiful. It means that nothing can overcome those who truly belong to Jesus Christ. God is in control, and He keeps a guard around the believer. Now remember, I said just a few minutes ago that when persecution comes, view it through the lens of spending eternity with Jesus Christ. When we realize that, when we understand that, we can then understand that when Christians experience harm and even death because of being faithful to Jesus Christ, it means that evil will not win. Instead, the plan of God will succeed. We see in verse 4 that Paul tells these believers that they have confidence in the Lord. About you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Now, we've got to keep in mind here that the Christian life always has a couple of forces at work. One is the power of God, and the second is the willful obedience of the believer. Now, Paul's confidence was in the Lord. He was certain He was absolutely certain that God would produce in these Christians a willingness to obey and that they would continue to respond in faith just as they had been doing in the past. I want to go for just a moment to Philippians 2.13. Paul writes, Therefore it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now, when we go back to today's slide, Paul recognized that the Thessalonians continued to experience persecution. And he also was aware that false teachers, false teachers were at work there preaching and teaching things that were not true. So Paul is taking an opportunity to pray for these believers at this church in Thessalonica. And look how he prays. May the Lord 
direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Paul is praying specifically that these people could fully experience the love of God. I want to ask you this morning, have you fully experienced the love of God? Paul desired for these people to experience a deep comprehension of God's love. One that would produce in them steadfast obedience and love. Now I want to remind you that this is not the first time that Paul has prayed something like this for people. I want to go again to Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10. There Paul tells us, and it's my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what's excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now as we go back to today's text, Paul's prayer here that the Lord direct their hearts actually has two meanings. Now remember from the last sermon in this series, these people had been confused because of false teaching. They were specifically confused about these these false teachers were preaching and teaching that the day of the Lord had already come, that Jesus had already come back, and these people were still here. Needless to say, that had that had caused a disruption in this particular church. Now Paul is praying here for these people to have some patience. And then the hardships always required a steady faith. Now, Jesus was their example. And can I just say for a minute, Jesus is also our example. I want to go to Hebrews 5.8 for just a moment. Although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. Although He was a son... He learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, if you listen closely to what Paul is praying here in verse 5, you're going to realize that this prayer contains basically the same theme that Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter 2 when he described the humility and the suffering of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to see in verses 6 through 13 that Paul takes an opportunity to discipline. And I want to talk for just a minute to people who are at least my age or older. I wonder, did you ever have a time when you were growing up where your parents could have selected physical discipline, but instead of that, they just decided to give you a a good talking to I had some of those good talking to sessions. And I'll tell you, if I could have chosen myself, I would have probably chosen the physical discipline. Because there was just something about knowing that I had disappointed my parents. That was a lot harder on me than physical discipline was. We're going to see here, Paul said he gives these people at the church a, a good talking to. Some of these things, this is not the first time they're hearing this. They've heard it before from 
him. He's going to take the opportunity to discipline. But I don't want you to miss that he does it in love. He does it in love. Now keep in mind that the situation that's occurring here is that some of the believers in this church were so bent out of shape about the return of Christ that they were neglecting the necessities of living. Some of these people were deliberately taking advantage of others and it was causing disruptions. We're going to see here that Paul is going to command the people to work and to provide for their own needs. And the ones that refused to do this would be disciplined. They were to be disciplined. Now as we look at verse 6, we, saw, we see that Paul is indicating here that it's a serious situation. Because he refers to it as a command. And then he always, he also throws in this phrase, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can tell from this language that he is dealing with a situation here that is very serious. But I don't want us to miss the fact that while Paul is in this process of beginning to discipline, look how he refers to these people as brothers. Now, I think that one of the reasons that Paul does this, it sort of sets the tone of concern and affection. He loved these people. He absolutely loved these people. He had concern and he had affection for them. He could have conveyed harshness, but he didn't. And also, I'd like to compare this just a moment to the times that we have to discipline one of our children. You know, in the midst of that discipline... They are still as much our child as they have ever been. They are still as much our child as they've ever been. And while Paul is in the process of disciplining this particular church, they are just as much his brothers as they have ever been. But now even when we consider both of these things, we've got to realize that we are dealing with a command here. We are dealing with a command. Paul is giving the expectation that these instructions are to be carried out completely and they're to be carried out without compromise. So what is the command? What is it? Well, it's that they are to keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. So Paul is asking the people here to withdraw fellowship so that the person, the offending person, would feel the consequences of the actions. Now these consequences would show the individual's heart. They would either repent or they would display prideful indifference. Now, the command was to be carried out for every brother. And that removed the possibility of any favoritism or any misuse. And Paul also recognized that the offending person would remain a brother. Now, Paul did this in order to keep the church orderly and to maintain its good reputation. And I don't want you to miss this. His purpose was to restore 
the offending person. His purpose was to restore the offending person. I hope you remember just a few short weeks ago, Brother Blake preached an entire sermon on church discipline from the book of Matthew through the sermon series that he's in from the book of Matthew. I feel like you're with me this morning, but I just want to remind you, Paul did not write the book of Matthew. Paul did not write Matthew. But he did write First and Second Thessalonians. Several books in the Bible later. And here we are still talking about church discipline. Here we are still stating that the purpose is reconciliation and restoration. We can't miss that. Now, the particular offense that Paul's dealing with here is idleness and the intentional rejection of teaching which Paul had given to this church. Now, he had touched on this before in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, where he says to the people, and we urge you, here's, here's this word again, brothers, admonish the idol. That's where I'm going to stop on this verse right now because we are talking about the idle people. Maybe when you see this word admonish, you might be thinking, well, maybe we need to define this particular word. What exactly are we referring to when we say we're supposed to admonish the idol? What are we supposed to be doing? Well, that word can be defined as to warn or to reprimand someone firmly. But even with that, the problem was still occurring. And as a result, we're going to see that Paul deals with it more seriously, more firmly this time in 2 Thessalonians. Now, these people were not only lazy, they were expecting others to support them financially by giving them food and other supplies. I don't want us to miss who we're talking about here. We are not talking about people who had some type of legitimate reason not to work. Those are not the people that Paul is referring to here at all. Instead, Paul is referring to people who are fully able to work, but they just chose not to, and they wanted other people to support them. Now in verses 7 and 8, Paul is giving examples and reasons to show why this type of behavior should not be tolerated. And he uses example and he uses teaching. Now, Paul is reminding them here that, hey, while we were with you, you saw how hard we worked. You saw how hard that we worked. It's something that maybe would be easy to look over and not realize is that Yes, the church, the people who are doing exactly what they're supposed to, they realized it, that Paul and the missionaries worked really, really hard while they were there. But guess who else realized it? The people who were not working. They had seen it with their own eyes. They had seen the example that Paul and these missionaries had put before them. Paul is not asking these people to do anything that he was not willing to do himself. Now, when Paul says here that they should not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, 
Now, that's not any type of recommendation that they should refuse a meal that was given out of generosity. But instead, Paul did not want capable Christians to become dependent on the generosity of other people. Now, in verse 9, Paul tells them that they had provided an example to imitate. Verse 9, it was not because we do not have that right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. Now, Paul always had a great concern for the church that it should be upright and it should be blameless in the community. He instructed the churches to conduct themselves honorably so that the church would model good behavior and love. Lazy people, meddlesome people do not contribute to that reputation that Paul wanted or desired for the church. Now, in verse 9, Paul is comparing the motives of the missionaries. He he and the other two men, to these people that he's referring to as being idle. These people who were doing nothing in Thessalonica, they were getting a personal benefit from that. But Paul and his missionaries, who actually deserved that support, they refused it for the benefit of other people. Now, verse 10 is an indication that while Paul, Silas, and Timothy were in Thessalonica, they must have seen some type of indications that this lazy attitude and this lazy lifestyle was a problem. While Paul was there with them face-to-face, he gave them this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Let him not eat. Even though that he had given them this command face to face, this time he's repeating it because they were not following it. And I want to say one more time, I don't want anybody to be confused as to who Paul is talking about here. It's not the people who had some type of legitimate reason why they couldn't work. It's people who deliberately chose not to work. In verse 11, Paul begins to get more specific. He states, we hear, we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Since Paul used the word some, I think it's safe to assume that maybe it's not a widespread problem at this point. But even with that, Paul wanted to deal with the problem before it got out of hand. Because let's face it, sin, no matter how small or how insignificant it might seem right this moment, it can spiral out of control quickly. It can spread like wildfire. He wanted to address it and be done with it here. Now, it's interesting that Paul uses this word, busybodies. You know, that's not a word that we probably use in our vocabulary a lot today. But what he's referring to here is people who were so busy with other people's problems that they just couldn't realize that they had any problems of their own. In verses 12 and 13, we see Paul begins to encourage the lazy. He begins to encourage 
the lazy. And he also, in this same passage, encourages those who are not lazy. Let's read these two verses. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And then he's encouraging the people who are doing what they're supposed to do. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. As for you, church, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. In verses 14 and 15, Paul issues a warning here. He is stating that the disobedient must receive discipline. And he's outlining some steps for church discipline if these individuals, these lazy individuals, should continue to reject the command to earn their own living. One of the things that I believe Paul wanted this church to see here and to realize is that church discipline should be exercised without any type of prejudice. The obedient people must set the disobedient apart for for, for, uh, discipline. Since this letter was read to the entire congregation in a public setting, that's how it's believed this particular book was delivered. It was read in public, in a public setting. Because of that, nobody could claim that, hey, I didn't know about that. Nobody ever told me about that. And in the same way, nobody could claim immunity from carrying out the demands of participating in the discipline. Now, Paul's desire here was indeed for the church to take official action, but he did not want the person to be shunned. Paul's direction to have nothing to do with the person was to exercise firmness in order to bring the brother back to repentance and back to right living. Again, it is so important to realize that the goal of church discipline is reconciliation. It is reconciliation. In verse 15, it's clear that Paul understood the dangers of discipline. So he issues this warning. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And as we move to the final section of verses, we see that Paul begins to issue a benediction, and then he leaves with a greeting. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Isn't that beautiful? Is that not a beautiful thought for Paul to leave these people with? In fact, this is, this is something that, that Brother Blake and I pray for you routinely hear it one more time now may the lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way the lord be with you greensburg baptist church all the lord be with you all 
And then in verse 17, Paul is reminding them that, hey, it's me that's writing this. I'm writing it with my own hand. If you remember from the last sermon, somebody had delivered a letter to this church that appeared to be from Paul, but it was not from Paul. So Paul's taking an opportunity to remind these people, hey, guys, this is me. It's me, Paul. I am writing this with my own hand. This is a sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. It's the way I write. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I wonder this morning, is there anybody here that needs the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life today? Amen. Every one of us should be saying amen. If we think we don't need the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives today, there's a problem. There is a huge problem. I wonder today, have you experienced that grace? Have you experienced that grace? You know, we often sing about amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And then we sing another song that talks about how God's grace covers all our sin. I want to ask you this morning, has God's grace covered all your sin? If not, today's the day for you. Today's the day that you can come and get it right with Jesus. I encourage you to do that. There's no shame in coming forward. I encourage you to come. If you need to pray for any reason, come forward. Maybe you need to experience that grace this morning for the first time. Jesus is here. He's ready. He is able to forgive. You know, we often say He can save anybody, anywhere, at any time. And He can. He can do that. He can save anybody, anywhere, at any time. But you know, He can also provide anywhere to anybody at any time. Maybe today's the day for you that you just need to come and do business with Jesus Christ. Maybe today's the day that you feel that you're supposed to unite in membership with this church. I'd encourage you to come forward. Brother Blake and I would love to talk with you and pray with you. But I want to talk for just a moment directly to people that do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. For the people who have never made that decision to follow Him. I don't want to scare you in, into salvation. That's not how it should work. We should not be scared into salvation. But I do want to remind you that life is so uncertain. None of us has the assurance that when we get in our vehicles today after this church service that we will arrive back to our physical home. Instead, we may end up in our eternal home, which will either be heaven or hell, one or the two. I wonder today, if your life were to end, do you know for sure where your eternity would be spent? And if you don't know that, I would love to talk to you about how to become a Christian. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the day that you've given us. 
Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray, I pray that your word was heard today. Lord, I pray that your word will be applied to the lives of people. And I pray that we will see the transforming power of the Holy Spirit at work in this place today. Father, I pray that this will be the day that we see that mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we will definitely see you at work in this place today. And Lord, I pray that you and you alone will be glorified. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.